0: Thanks for connecting with our online content at Holy Trinity Church in Richmond. We really hope that what we share with you will be a blessing and will help you to continue to grow in your knowledge and love of God. Well, thank you for your welcome, and it's really good to be here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, speak to us now and move our hearts and minds to understand who you are, the Holy Trinity, more and more. As we meet you through your Spirit and your Son, Father, enlighten us in your goodness and your gospel, your truth and your ways. Amen. So, I mean, this is Holy Trinity Richmond, right? So what should I say? You guys know it already. Right, um, But today is Trinity Sunday, and Zane asked me to come and speak on the Trinity, so here we go. Um, the Holy Trinity, this is a, an icon by a, a, a um, Russian icon painter back in about the 12th century, um, called a guy called Rublev, an icon of the Trinity. Um, and I'm not going to try and explain it, but if you want to talk to me afterwards, I can tell you about some of the symbolism in it. Um, it's very much a picture of the life of the Trinity, and there's lots of symbols in it that imply different things about the members of the Trinity. But the thing about the, the, the doctrine, the, the, the reality of God being the Trinity, is that, as I've got there as a kind of title, it is shorthand for the gospel. It's actually a way of kind of um, anchoring the truth of who God is and God's good news and love towards us get really um, summed up and held for us in the doctrine of the Trinity. And that's one of the reasons the church has been really earnest and intent about having this doctrine and holding it. So I don't know how you feel about it, but I guess for many of us, it's, you know the doctrine of the Trinity is kind of like, well, yeah, I know that God's Trinity, and I know I'm supposed to believe that, and I go to Holy Trinity, so I better believe it, but I don't really know what it means. You know, I'm not quite sure. And I know that's Father, Son, and Spirit, and I can think about them, but I don't know quite how it holds together. So let's have a crack at unpacking some, just some kind of basic and I think gospel focus, focused stuff about it. Uh, we'll see if this works. Helps if I turn it on. Look at that. So, here in the season, we're actually in the season of Pentecost, um, but I'm still thinking season of Easter, of Jesus risen. Jesus ascended, and now Jesus pouring out the Spirit. And we encounter Jesus risen and alive, don't we? And we hear from him. And I just wanted to reflect on that a little bit before we move into looking at our reading from the Gospel of John. You know, in Acts chapter 1, we didn't, we didn't read it, but in Acts chapter 1, before he ascends, we have the 40 days of Easter time, the 40 days of Jesus appearing to his disciples, walking with them, talking with them, eating with them, doing stuff and then kind of disappearing on them as well. And we read about two main things that Jesus is doing in that time. He's showing with many convincing proofs that he's alive, that he's really alive, that he could be touched, that he's present, that he's real. And then he's speaking, we read, about the kingdom of God. So Jesus continues in his resurrection time to Speak about the kingdom of God, and then he tells his disciples that they are going to become his witnesses in the world. Now, if I think about it, you know, Jesus has these 40 days where he's um, with his disciples in this particular way. And if I knew I had 40 days of like a particular thing that I needed to be doing and it was important, I'd use them really well. So I might think to myself, and I think it'd be reasonable, that these are the two things that Jesus thinks are absolutely the most important for him to be doing with his disciples. Showing that he is risen and that he truly is alive beyond death. And speaking about the kingdom, the kingdom that he is all about and that he has brought. He's risen, he's victorious, and God the Father is with him. His disciples meet him and he is alive and that's awesome that is at the heart of our faith. And God the Father is with him, and that's, that's demonstrated, isn't it, by his resurrection. It's like a, a kind of verdict, if you like. Um, one of the theologians that I've studied the most often talked about um, the verdict of the Father in the resurrection of Jesus. All that Jesus has said, all that he's done, is now shown to be absolutely true because the Father raises him from the dead. It's it's like the kind of gold seal of approval on everything that he's been about. And you know, without the resurrection, we wouldn't care about Jesus. Without the resurrection, we wouldn't even know his name. There were other attempted messiahs around that time. And some of them were called Jesus, even. We barely know they exist. Um, It's more implied that they exist than anything else. But one would be Barabbas, who the crowd exchanges for Jesus with Pilate. He's a kind of failed messiah. He wants to lead a rebellion against the Romans and kick them out and all the rest of it. He's a freedom fighter, if you like. Um, But in the end, he fails. The verdict of the father is in raising Jesus from the dead that actually what he's all about is the real deal. So the teaching that he has brought, the descriptions of the father that he's given, the claims that he's made for himself, all of it, is upheld, all of it is demonstrated to be absolutely true because Jesus rises from the dead. And so that brings me through to John chapter 14. Um, I want to congratulate you on reading that well. It's an incredibly difficult reading. I always feel very sorry for people when I give them John chapter 14 to read. It's all this kind of round and round and circle stuff from Jesus, and it's quite a long reading, so you did a really good job. Well done. Let's have a look at John chapter 14. Now, I can see that you are a church of great sinners because I see no Bibles in people's hands. Hiya! This is a deep disappointment to me. Um, you need to institute what I used to do with young people at All Saints in Nelson. oh Eric, you're the man. Um, and that is chocolate fish if you bring your own Bible. Okay? That's got to be the rule from now on. All right? only have to be those little ones from the warehouse. In John chapter 14, it's the last night of Jesus' life, except that he's going to rise from the dead, but you know what I mean. He's alive now. And he spends time talking with his disciples and then praying. A huge emphasis in John's Gospel is on the last week of Jesus' life, and particularly the last night before the cross and before he rises again. And Jesus is painting a picture of himself, And his relationship with the Father and his relationship with the Spirit and then us and our relationship with Jesus himself and with the Father and with the Spirit. And it's very much about painting a picture. It's much more about imagery and poetry than it is about some kind of linear description. You can't kind of start at the beginning and go right, point by point by point. Jesus isn't doing that. He's, he's going around it and around it and around it, and each time he goes around it, he's building the picture for us. So we just kind of have to sit with it as that kind of chat, as that kind of um, thing that's going on. So we're going to do a very quick walkthrough now, and it is going to be quite quick, I promise. Hopefully that will work. Good. First of all, in verses 1 to 4, Jesus is talking about the way that the Father has a home for us and that Jesus himself is going and going into the presence of the Father and preparing a home for us inside God's generosity. Um, And for those of us who are a little bit older, um, we will remember, you know, in my Father's house there are many mansions. um, Or a more modern translation would say many rooms in my Father's house. But I quite like the mansions idea. Let's go for that, shall we? (laughs) sounds good to me but inside my father's generosity there's space for everybody and it's a great space and jesus goes to prepare that place for us and that's this wonderful promise and guarantee i won't spend any more time on it than that but the basis of this that jesus shares "Mm." Um, thank you (laughs) i'll probably just have to start waving my hand um, the basis and the guarantee and the certainty is that Jesus is one with the father and so in verses 5 to 14 Jesus spends quite a lot of time saying in different ways and talking in different ways about the fact that he and the father are one so he says I and the father and the father and I'm sorry I in the father and the father in me this is the stuff that gets clunky to try and say well Jesus being one with the Father. And this this promise that he makes, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And if you know me, then you know the Father. There's this incredible unity being painted between Jesus and his Father. And it's actually a unity in the Spirit. And this is the basis, actually, of our doctrine of the Trinity, right? Um, We call it the incarnation. Jesus is the Son of God somehow Become human, become one of us—the miracle of Christmas. This is the beginning of the doctrine of the Trinity, that the Father and the Son somehow are one and are united this deeply. Not just that Jesus is an emissary or a, an ambassador or a, um, you know somebody sent on a mission from the Father or you know from heaven or something like like, like that. He's not like the angel Gabriel who rocks up and tells Mary or tells Zechariah what's going on with John the Baptist or with Jesus himself. Not just a messenger, that Jesus, that Jesus actually is God among us in the flesh, taking on our life, sharing with us, but also being the presence of the Father among us. This is an incredible thing, isn't it? We could spend forever just looking at this. Come to the college and do the Christology course. <laughs> Christology is, you know, the study and the the kind of the work of theology around who Jesus is. Whole course on it. It's really good. It's in the second semester. I'm doing it. Come. (laughs) You're very welcome. It's full of richness for us, and it's full of the, the guarantee and the certainty of the love of God towards us. And the New Testament talks about this all the time that the love of God is poured out into us through the Spirit because Jesus Christ has been born and lived and died and rose again for us and that God is in him. So Jesus says, as we've got up there, if you know me, you know the Father. If you see my character, you see the Father's character. If you see my deeds, you see the Father's deeds. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Just continuing our our really quick walkthrough. The Father will send the Spirit, and the Spirit will connect us to Jesus. So, the last five verses of this longer passage that we had read Jesus talks about going to the Father. So, he's talking about his ascension and his departure from us. Um, the, the end of the resurrection appearances that he will go and when he comes back sorry that he will come back by sending the spirit among us and the spirit will bring his presence and the father's presence and there's this interplay of him kind of talking about sending the spirit himself or him asking the father and the father sending the spirit and it's kind of both and that's part of the point of this trinity thing it's always all of them mixing together you can't just say it one way He says, the world will not see me anymore, but you will. Why? Because the Spirit will be at work among you. And when the Spirit's at work among you, you see me. When the Spirit is doing stuff um, in you and through you and for you, I'm doing stuff in you and through you and for you. It's this interweaving thing. You will know me and you will know the truth that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. We can understand it, we can hold it, because the Spirit does that in us. And more than that, this incredible promise that Jesus makes that I really want us to notice. Jesus promises that not only can we kind of see the truth or kind of know the truth with our minds because the Spirit will enlighten us, but actually we will come to share in who Jesus is. He gives us this amazing gift that we will be in him And he will be in us. So when he says it, he says, you in me, and I in you. That Jesus unites us to himself, that we become somehow one with him, that we're given life to that degree by him. I want us to pause and think on that for a moment. It's not just that Jesus offers us forgiveness of sins as a kind of big tick, you know, get our card. You know, um, some of you will have played Monopoly. I'm sure of it. You know, my get out of jail free card. You know, so useful. It's, you know, when Jesus saves us, he doesn't give us a get out of jail free card to just kind of like go, oh, great, awesome. Um, Sin, got that covered. It's much more than that, isn't it? He unites us to himself so that sin is destroyed in us, but more than that, we are made new. Did you know that the goal of being a Christian is not having our sins forgiven? The goal of being a Christian is unity with Jesus and life in his spirit. Having our sins forgiven is just a a necessary thing to make that happen. And it's super important, don't get me wrong, super important. Um, I'll lose my job if I don't emphasize that. But it's, it's not the goal, it's the means to the goal. The goal is life in Christ, life in the Spirit. And those are actually the same thing, right? So what we have is this beautiful picture of who God is who saves us. The God who loves us and redeems us and who unites us to himself. And so this is why the doctrine of the Trinity is is shorthand for the gospel. That Jesus can say, the Spirit will be poured out and will make you one with me, and I will be in you. So that when we are encountering the Spirit, we're also encountering the Father and the Son. That the life and the work and the power of the Father comes to us through the Son and the Spirit. And so to meet any one of the three is really to meet all three. If we encounter the Spirit, we're automatically encountering the Father and the Son in the Spirit. To be saved in Jesus and to be united to him is to be full of the Spirit and to be in relationship with the Father. Does that make sense to you? It's, it's kind of like, well, okay, it's, it's spaghetti. And you push on any bit of it and it all moves. <laughs> because it's all intertwined, it all moves together, the life of God in us. But it's a picture of the God who saves us and it's, it's kind of a picture also of how we are saved and what we are saved for. The way that all three persons are working together in one mission is super cool. <laughs> when I was um, living in Oxford um, many years ago, um, one of the people in the church that, that we were part of was a very, very lovely man who was a um, professor both of Oxford and um, University and Cambridge University, and um, I would get up and preach in my normal sort of fashion, and he would say to his children afterwards at the lunch table apparently, now when Andrew says that God is cool, what does he mean? (laughs) Well God's super cool, that's all I've got to say. (laughs) So to meet one is to meet them all, as I just said. This movement of the Spirit uniting us to the Son, the Son bringing us to the Father, who has many mansions, who has much generous space for us to live in with Him. And so, this is the Trinity. This is the way that God is among us. The God we meet in Jesus is somehow three, and yet one, and one who, are th- who is three. And the gospel forces this on us. And it's good that the gospel forces this on us. Now, I want to give you a small illustration, perhaps, of what we end up with if we don't think Trinity. If God is not Trinity, if God is not the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who together are somehow the one God, then we'll end up with a picture where God is, say, God the Father, And just sort of out there. And if the Son is not also God, then all that happens is that God the Father out there somewhere sends some being, maybe a kind of supreme archangel or something like that, to come and save us. But it's not actually God saving us. And we can think to ourselves, if we want, of um, sort of Christian heresies, or maybe they're not even Christian, um, that think exactly that. So I don't want to be um, kind of antsy or mean or um, political, but, you know, Jehovah's Witness doctrine is exactly this, that Jesus is not the eternal Son of God incarnate, but is like the highest angel sent to save us. But what happens then is that we can't really say God is our saviour anymore. God sends a saviour, and that was very nice of him, loving perhaps. But it's very different, isn't it? God was in Christ reconciling the world, says St. Paul. It's a very, very different thing. It's a much more wonderful and amazing God, and it's the gospel truth. And so the doctrine of the Trinity is shorthand for the gospel in all the richness and the beauty of who God is, and also in protecting us from error, from losing sight of how good God is, how certain our salvation is, And so we can ask ourselves some sort of questions, can't we? God was in Christ reconciling the world. All that happens in Jesus is true. All of this stuff. So, just try and get that to move. These sorts of questions that we might be wanting to ask or that others might ask us is God really like Jesus? I encounter um, in the world around us people who like Jesus but are quite unsure about God. I don't know if you encounter that. You know, people have a general picture that Jesus is a good guy and they quite like what he's about, but they're not sure about this God business. Is God really like Jesus? Well, yes, because he is God. Jesus is God among us. You have seen me. You have seen the Father. It's straightforward. It's straightforward. Is the Spirit really uniting us to Jesus? Is the Spirit really uniting us to God? Well, yes, because the Spirit is God. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we are filled with God. We're filled with the Father and the Son and his life. And is our home really with God? Yes, because he's already made his home with us. And then Jesus has gone before us. And there are many mansions waiting for us. It's all shorthand for this extraordinary goodness of God, and it anchors it for us. Okay, so I'm going to pray, and then I'll do a tiny um, little further update on the college, but let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your amazing goodness. It is mysterious to us that you are the Trinity, we will never fully understand, but you are. You promise us this is what you are like, and this is what you do, and this is who you are, that you are our saviour in exactly this way. And so we rejoice. Fill us with your spirit that we may be united to you, the Father and the Son. Lord Jesus, make your home in us and bring us home with you at the end to the place where there are many mansions and we can be with you fully at home, rejoicing in the greatness of your life forever. Amen. If you'd like to connect with more of our online content at Holy Trinity in Richmond, you can do that by going to our YouTube page, simply by searching for Richmond Anglican Aotearoa, You can also touch base with us online at our website or on Facebook by searching with those same words. Friends, we're so thankful that you've joined us online and that you're enjoying our content. We really do hope and pray that God is blessing you through it. If you've got any feedback, you can touch base with me, Zane at richmondparish.nz. Thanks so much for listening.